Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the August episode of The Delicious Podcast with me, Julie Smith. Now, we're all about women this week. We're making a witch's brew at the women-only Pomario Vineyard in Umbria. And we meet two of the Syrian refugees behind the women-only crowd-funded catering company and pop-up, Syrian Kitchen. We catch up with Valentina Harris on the Delicious Produce Awards. And Moroccan food writer Najis Benkabu tells us how she turned a blog into a publishing sensation. Only one man was allowed in. Gennaro Contaldo gives us a slice of his life. But first, editor of Delicious Magazine, Karen Barnes, tells us what's special about the August issue. Uh, We've got some exciting news this month because uh, we've been working on something for quite a long time that's finally come to fruition. And that is that our bags that our magazines are sent out to subscribers in are now biodegradable. So it's very good news. Did that take a lot of searching it did take a lot of seeking out because it has you have to be very careful to find exactly the right thing it also has to be robust because people don't want their magazines all mashed when they arrive um but the clever part of it is that you can take the magazine out of the bag and then use the bag to line your food caddy and then it can be recycled so that is excellent news um content wise it won't surprise you to know that there's a lot of sun and beaching going on and I suppose just capturing that sense of holiday spirit. Um, I'm delighted that we've got Rick Stein uh, giving us some exclusive recipes and a guide to summer shellfish, which I I found interesting because I've always thought that you shouldn't eat things like mussels when there isn't an R in the month. That was the old wives' tale. I don't know where that came from. Anyway, Rick Stein has his guide to summer shellfish with some illuminating insights from his fisherman expert um that actually absolutely fine to eat things like that in the summer and we've got some great recipes with that um i'm really pleased to welcome zoe ajonio uh who is Guyanaian irish heritage uh, as our new writer in residence and she went on the most incredible trip to kenya where she was tasting food from all different regions and people and she was inspired to recreate food that she doesn't like the word authentic I don't really like Mm. it but real food that is so delicious but flavors that are quite different from things that I would normally have experienced and Mm. it's bringing it to a wider audience I think the interesting thing about Kenyan food having read her feature is that it takes its influences from so many Mm. different countries because uh 
different nations have controlled that country at different times and and different ingredients that were introduced have become a part of the culture so it's almost impossible to identify what's original and what isn't but the the point is that um, certain recipes have endured and certain ingredients and she explores those and and some of the ingredients are quite hard to find so very wisely she's given alternatives uh, to make with things that are slightly easier to get hold of if you have a problem sourcing something like pumpkin leaves for example Mm. Mm. Um, recipes that tell the story of a place are always so interesting aren't they i know and i think summer magazines are they often have that sense because i think we all go away and we all want to recreate things we've experienced on our travels some things translate well back at home other things don't there's also that sense of still wanting to eat outside so we've got a wonderful picnic feature um, and we've also got some very simple Mary Berry puddings that I think anybody could make and there would be no hitches so it's a good round package as well as some inspiration for going away for a weekend by the sea. Valentina Hans, Queen of Italian Cooking, is on the road this summer as host of the Delicious Produce Awards. I caught up with her to find out where she's been. So this weekend was the third round of the judging for the Delicious Produce Awards and we were in Essex at Cressing Temple with all that Knights Templar stuff and everything and the Tudor Walled Garden and... Oh, it was incredible. So I got there very early on the Friday morning, as I always do, to do all the setting up. And there were sort of endless marquees and pictures of Tom Kerridge everywhere and you know, <laughs> Fred Syria twinkling away from the posters. And, of course, Chris Galvin, who was one of our judges, one of the three judges this weekend. Um, prior to that, the weekend before that, I was on the shores of wonderful Loch Nee in County Antrim. And that was absolutely extraordinary in the shadow of Shane's Castle with... Lots of people dressed up as characters from Game of Thrones, of course. And uh, a lot of dog training going on. Yes, well, I saw that on your blog. Now, of course, you're telling the story of your trail around the UK (laughs) on on the blog, and really entertaining it is, too. Thank you, thank you. What you're really describing is delicious going around the country to find the best produce. Yes, and it's not obviously not at all just about how the produce tastes. Obviously, taste is very important and the appearance and the quality is very important. But it's also about the provenance and the link that the producer has to, you know, local employment, conservation. And the one, the bit I find the most interesting, really, is passion for what they do. Yeah, it's the, it's the stories behind the food, behind the artisans. It's, it's really championing the small people, isn't it? Exactly. It's championing absolutely the small people. Farmers, producers, cheese producers, yes, drinks farmers, producers. producers, drinks producers. There's always a lot of gin because, you know, gin <laughs> seems to be the de rigueur drink once again. We've sort of swept back in history with that. Now, importantly, people can catch up with you on the road. You've got still quite a few right into August and September. Yes, Perth which is actually nearly Dundee, if you look, if you look at where it actually is. Yeah. Um, and then Nantwich, Leamington Spa, Abergavenny, and finally we finish at the Albra Food Festival at the end of September. Fantastic. So, yeah. And these food festivals are full of names. I mean, Abergavenny alone, 
I'm looking at all the people who've been on the podcast or who are about to be on the podcast. Jack Stein, Zoe Ajonio, our food writer in residence actually at the moment in Delicious Sky, McAlpine, Remy Gill, Sybil Kapoor, Gil Meller, all those kind of people. I mean, it is. these are places where food fans really, really want to go. Absolutely. And and it's important that the, the awards are there, you know, being part of all of that. Because, as I say, the criteria for the judging is a little bit different to perhaps other other awards. And, uh, and you know, it's just wonderful to be a part of all of it, really, to be there in that buzz and everything. Now, Moroccan blogger turned food writer Najee's Benkabu is one of the many expats who found themselves through their food after leaving home. A teenager in Brussels and a student in London, she missed her Moroccan childhood food so much that she's brought it into her life here in the UK with the publication of her first book, Casablanca. I asked her what she wanted to achieve. Levantine food, very often labelled as Middle Eastern food, is very popular in the UK and it's, you know, there's a reason why it's delicious and it's amazing. And very often some restaurants will offer some Moroccan dishes next to Levantine food and people will think it's the same food. And I think there's nothing wrong with it. But ultimately, Moroccan food is very, very different and there's so much to it that people don't know that I would love to, to introduce um, in the UK. So that's what I'm trying to do and, and trying to make Moroccan food very cool uh, and approachable. When you live outside of your home country, you a way to you know, have those memories that you had when of your childhood is to cook the food that you were eating when you were a child. And, uh, and I always helped at home, but I was never really cooking on my own until I start I you know I left for university and I was living by myself and I start missing you know the sajins and the harira all the things we would do and I would spend hours on the phone with my mom skyping showing her what I was doing and I realized that I was not bad at recreating all her dishes and I had this encrypted memory in my brain of how things should taste and then I would only stop testing until I would manage to reproduce exactly what my mom would make um, and that's when I realized that I was like, oh, actually, I'm not that bad because it wouldn't take me that long. And then friends would start coming over and then asking me to cook at their home. Yeah. I never looked back. <laughs> so then you started the blog. Now, I'm yes. fascinated by these blogs, you know, Instagram too. Mm-hmm. There's a point at which it kind of just goes, yes. what, did that happen to you? Um, for me, it happened progressively. I mean, I re- realized that online there were no spaces dedicated to modern Moroccan cooking. And actually, even Moroccan cooking in general, there were not, there were not that many blogs. And um, there's a lot of them in French, but not that many of them in English. So, so I thought, a gap in the market. Exactly, there. and I thought, well, someone has to do it, and okay, I'm going to do it. So, uh, but it was very new to me because I, I designed my blog by myself. It took me a month. I, start, I even learned a bit of coding, you know, because I wanted to have the perfect blog that I had in my mind. So, uh, so I, you know, I learned food photography. Took a lot of time, and then I think we time my pictures started uh, to improve and get better and that's when I started having a big following and things um, uh, and at what point did the publisher come to you did you pitch the idea or did the publisher come to you I pitched the idea yes I pitched the idea it took time did you get yourself an agent I mean, because there are lots and lots of people who listen to this podcast who yeah. are would-be food, <laughs> food writers and they're always asking also in my case um, uh, I think it was a bit of unusual because usually you need to have an agent and then a publisher I, I didn't I met with the publisher, with my publisher, and I told her about my idea, and then she said, it's a good idea, um, and now we need an agent. So I met with my agent, Ariella Feiner, and then we start working on a proposal, 
and then I had a book deal. So it was a bit of an unusual route for me. Yeah, so tell us about the process though. So when Ariella and you sat down, she would have shaped that whole idea for the market. What did she say to you that you that made you change your proposal? Um, well, I think she really helped me find my voice ultimately because also, you know, in my blog I'm very chatty. I say whatever comes through my mind. I don't I'm not serious at all. I never take myself seriously and then the, I think the first draft of my proposal was very serious and it, it and I, I, I thought I had to be serious so I kind of you know because I, I went to university here so it reminded me of when I was writing all these dissertations and so I kind of wrote my proposal in a very serious tone trying trying to demonstrate things and then she said no 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 just just be yourself just express yourself and and then she would put question marks and tell me I don't understand this just can you please go further and 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 you know and then after a few weeks I think we had a good proposal in terms of the blog yeah. did you start getting feedback the blog, it took time. I think a lot of people were trying the recipes, but not everyone who tries a recipe will comment or you know post a picture of it. But I think after a year, um, I had you know, I started having a good amount of followers and then some opportunities started coming. Well, I was told if you have 10,000 followers, it's a good amount. I think today it can mean everything and nothing. Um, I think what, what's important is the engagement, is to have you know a community of people who are really following you and what you do and who are really trying your recipes, who are curious about what they do, who comment, who like, who will come and see you at events, uh, who will buy your book, um, because you can have so many follow, so many people following you, but they might not even go on Instagram, yeah. so um, they might not be active. So, um, so I think when you have a good engagement, that's a good sign. Yeah. People say a lot that you need to give a bit of your identity for people to get attached to you. It's true, but I think, you know, I focus on food. I'm a cook and um, I, have, I love lifestyle bloggers. I follow so many of them, but it's not what I do. It takes time to find your voice. When you start posting things online, you never know how far you should go and what you want to post. And my account is about my Moroccan food um, and my vision of, you know, uh, Moroccan food in, in, in the world, not about know my struggles or whether I'm in a good mood or not I, I try I, I try to show a bit of my personality because it's who I am and I never take myself seriously I love to laugh about everything and nothing so you know, I try to be funny but I don't go too far hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now from Morocco to Umbria in Italy, where Raimonda Spalletti-Trevelli is looking at the moon to work out the rotor for her almost all-women workforce at her family's biodynamic Pomario vineyard. Before she told me why, she explained how biodynamic viniculture, which is based on the teachings of 20th century Austrian philosopher Rudolf Steiner, takes a holistic view of winemaking and uses the cosmic calendar, including the phases of the moon, in its growing practices. The construction of a winery is, uh, uh, the wood is uh, taken from old church and uh, the um, also, it is uh, geothermical, so it gives it gets the energy from the ground, from the earth, yeah. and that is very important. But it, because it doesn't have impact uh, to the, at the nature, yes. no. Yeah. So it's a biodynamic in uh, every <laughs> uh, little thing. Yeah. The best wines are the one that has a little bit of uh, it's called sediment. Sediment when you drink it in the bottle. When you see sediments, it means it's nature. Yeah. So people think that it's not nice to see sediments. Instead, it's a very good thing. Yeah. Tell me about the roses. The roses are very important for Pomadio Winery. Uh, my mother has a complete collection of roses which covered all the property and uh, she buys the roses in uh, all over the world. So it's a very important collection because it catches the disease, the virus, before the, uh, the vineyard. So we can uh, catch it in time and we can work on the vineyard. Yeah, and I love that idea because it's it's beautiful. We're talking about a very big estate which is covered in the most beautiful roses. But these roses work for their living, don't they? And it's like an alarm system, isn't it? Exactly. When you see the virus coming in, you see it on the roses. What do you see? You see immediately the roses that um, it, it is ill. You see the um, leaves that are yellow, the roses that don't bloom. Raimonda explained to me why she thinks women are particularly well suited to growing and making biodynamic wine, especially their sweet Sauterne style wine, Mufato de la Strega. Um, my father is the only man in the, <laughs> in the property <laughs> and the enologist, the agronomist, everybody who works there are female. That's why we called the Muffato, Muffato delle Streghe, of the witches. <laughs> and um, Muffato, so it means that it's molded wine. And uh, delle Streghe, of the witches. It's a sweet wine, and the sweetness is given from the mold that um, is formed on the grape. So uh, the fog that arrives in the morning, before it is, because it is in a special place or of a comp of a property, where the fog arrives in the morning, and uh, the sun arrives after twelve. So um, it gets very sweet and the, the sugar in the grapes get high level, mm -hmm. so it becomes a sweet wine. Mm -hmm. The moon is very important for, you know, the water, the mood, the, and as it, it is important for women very much more than men. 
and uh, it's the same thing for the grapes. The grapes live a cycle like the woman. Maybe we uh, can uh, get in touch with uh, the cycle of the moon to decide when to do the harvest or when to uh, do the uh, when you cut. The pruning. Yes, the pruning. Uh, probably, I don't know, we are a little bit feminist, so we think that uh, how female, how they work and uh, their passionate in working is unique. And uh, it's better than men, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and my father is the first one who admits that. Now, we're talking food and identity and what it means to people who've been displaced. I met the Syrian refugee women who got the backing of the Mayor of London's office and a massive response to their crowdfunding campaign for a catering company based on their own Syrian food. I met two of the women, Asma and Nazreen, in their new North London neighbourhood. I asked Asma to tell me what the Syrian kitchen is all about. Well, uh, Syrian Kitchen is uh, actually a collection of five Syrian women refugees came from Syria uh, to invest their skills in in, in UK. They they show people how, um, how food is important to to uh, to move the, the culture from country from land to la- other land. At the beginning, the event was is just volunteering from ourselves to show people, and we did some feasts and we invested every moment we had just to show people and to let make people test our food and then we started organizing um, new events at cafes at, um, centers community centers so like little pop-up syrian kitchen yeah and we have a page on facebook and instagram it's a wonderful thing that food does it's an extra language isn't it nazreen Basically, it's a catering company. You you cater yes. for weddings and parties, yes. but it's so much more than that. What is it for you? For me, I'm a very social person. So when I do cooking in front of people or sometimes I teach them, um, I serve the food for them. Uh, I feel so glad. I feel, feel so pleased that I have this, this scheme and this project. The wonderful thing about food is that, as you just said, Asma, it travels from place to place. When you moved from Syria, when you came here as refugees, how important a role did food play in making you feel comfortable here? Yeah, first, first uh, we came here, actually we didn't know where we have to go and buy food and which uh, suitable place, like halal meat and uh, like food look like uh, my country. I brought back my, mem- my memories of my country and my, my food or my family's food. Actually, we, can't, we are not able to bring our countries or our houses. We're just able to bring this a bit of smell of our countries, which is connect with food. So I feel like um, I'm my home. I feel like um, I can make same my my mom did for me or same my mom cooked for me. Yeah. 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 Tell me a little bit about the lives that you left behind. Where did you live? I was living in a, a town uh, called Idlib. It's just next to Aleppo. I didn't didn't know how to cook when I came here. Uh, was a student at Aleppo University, um, having a good, nice, very nice family, living my life with my friends at Aleppo. Uh, a university, yeah. Um, I I didn't realize I didn't realize that, that I will have um, 
business uh, cooking one day. That's this is unbelievable, <laughs> incredible. I can't believe myself now. I cook. I call my mom every day. Mommy, I I I make Syrian food better than you now. <laughs> yeah, it's just Where is yeah. She? Also, yeah, she's in Turkey now in the camp. Nazreen also told me what she left behind. I came from Homs. Um, I left everything there, my heart, my family, uh, my friends, my university, and my house. Actually, I had a very nice house. Um, we're trying to, to make a good life. It's not easy, actually, to when to, especially when we remember uh, what we left. It's a um, great place. But firstly, still we still miss our countries. We still miss uh, everything we left, especially families. And uh, in our our culture, we are very close from families. Now, the only man allowed to this week's party is the effervescent Gennaro Contaldo, the man who Jamie Oliver calls his second dad, and whose book Passione has been updated and re-released this summer, packed with recipes from the childhood that sums up the spirit of Italy. To get a slice of his life, I asked him if he could remember the first thing he ever cooked for his mum. Fish! Because I used to go fishing, as my mother always said, bring the fish home. Anchovies, they were impossible because you have to have a special net. So all this blue fish, because it was near the rocks. So easy ways to do it, remove the oil inside, quickly wash it, dip in flour, <laughs> remove the flour, and cooked in a lovely extra virgin olive oil. Take him out, drizzle again of extra virgin olive oil, little garlic, little parsley, and a squeeze of Amalfi lemon. You grew up on the Amalfi coast. Yes. What was the favorite thing? Take yourself back to when you were, say, five, when you yeah. were running around on your own, your mum wasn't watching you all the time. What's your favorite thing to do? Well, it's Nick, all the lovely ripe fruit <laughs> that was all round to get those lovely figs which have very ripe thin salmon, those fantastic grapes comes down. But I actually was in love with prickly pears. I think it was to do with the challenge, because prickly pears, there was always growing somewhere, which it was inaccessible, you can't really do it, but somehow, yes, I used to get it. My hands were prickled, but then when you cut it and you open inside, and then you eat inside your mouth, you go, wow. Now you bring my memory back. Can you imagine in the summer, especially in August, there's these massive figs. We just used to get some bread, was still warm. Just run up on top of the trees with other friends, open up the bread, slice of, uh, of, uh, of figs inside, you squash with your hands and you eat it. Some, some other people, some other young boys used to bring also a slice of a salami because the salt and sweet, yeah, And you have to be quiet because the horn used to come out under the trees. If it caught us, oh my God. Now you've got lots of children. Lots and lots of children. Lots of children, you've got six children. What Included is... Jamie. And six including Jamie, five real ones, but Jamie you adopted no, a long a, time ago. Yes, but that is real. <laughs> no, no. When they look back at old Papa Gennaro, you know, in 50 years' time, when you've gone on to make food in some other great place in the sky, what do you want them to, to remember you for? As I was now. A papa which he cares so much, love and passions. 
And finally, to the test kitchen, where Sophie's making jam. Uh, so it is a bramble and bay jam. So we've got bay leaf in there for a little savoury note. Um, and then lots of blackberries um, and um, what else in there? Apple. Lovely. apple. Is it going to go in a tart? What's your plan? Yes, so one of the ways to use it is in a tart. But actually the other tart is for uh, an exclusive web recipe. So that's a bit more summery, so that's quite nice. And doing a sort of summer and a winter recipe at the same time. What's an, one more thing that you could do with all these berries? Um, so another thing that I'm going to do is a cocktail. So it's going to be gin, just because that's obviously so popular. Everyone loves it. Um, mixed with a bit of jam, maybe some lemon juice and um, probably some sort of Sicilian lemon juice or something like that for a bit of fizz and maybe a bit of uh, sweetness to come through as well. Thanks for listening to the Delicious Podcast August episode. I'll be back next week and every week with more stories from the world of Delicious magazine. So do make sure you subscribe so that you never miss a bit. And do get in touch via the Delicious Facebook page or social media or find me on Instagram. I'm at Smith to suggest what you'd like to hear on the podcast. See you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 